oftentimes when we talk about love, um, there can even be critique about how often the church talks about love or the ways in which we talk about love, and we forget about the transformative nature of, of God's love. This morning, I'm going to read from um, 1 John chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. Actually, this is the first three verses. You'll notice um, I made a little mistake when I was creating our, um, our slides this morning where we're not going to go into the fourth verse, but we're going to end with the third verse. 1 John and also 2 John, they anchor um, the scripture in how God's love for us also translates to our love for one another. But this passage in particular, so simple and so powerful and so profound, because it doesn't ask us to do anything. This passage just tells us how God loves us. So I pray that if you've heard um, these words in 1 John chapter 3 before, that you might tune your ears in a new way to hear these words in a new way, that you might claim these words in a new way, believe these words in a new way, and live like you are loved in a new way. Hear now these words in 1 John chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. And it says this, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And they're speaking of Christ Jesus. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. Meaning that, like, you know, we are glorious and we are good, but gosh, God's going to do something that's even grander. What we do know is this, is that when Christ is revealed, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as Christ is pure. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, this has been a hard and a holy week for members within our church community. It's been hard in that we have had individuals who are part of our CERT family who have had to journey with other family members and loved ones who um, were nearing or have come to the place of death. It's been a holy week for those individuals because they got to be with those family members as they made their journey from the church mortal to the church triumphant, as they left this life to another life, as they died in Christ and now they have been raised with Christ. Some of the holiest moments that I've ever experienced have been watching individuals show up and be so present for a loved one who is dying. In many ways, I think this is when we are at our best in humanity, or when we're not worried about checking Instagram or looking on our phones when we're sitting and holding the hand of the person who loved us. Uh, we're not distracted about what email we need to send or what work task we need to get done when we are sitting at the bedside of a person who used to make us cookies. We're not thinking about what we have done or what we have left undone when we are looking at the face of our beloved who might be nearing the time that they will see the one who is the grand beloved. Some of the holiest moments that I have ever experienced as a pastor comes in that sacred space when people are journeying with someone as they come to the end of their lives. 
And it is a beautiful thing when people don't die alone. I think that's why we were so unsettled and so disturbed at the height of shelter in place when we would hear stories of people who could not be with their family members and friends. How, how, how children, how, how parents, how, how guardians, how friends, how coworkers said, if I could have just touched their hand one more time, and yet we didn't get that, that particular honor. There is something really beautiful about us taking up space when someone is nearing the end of life. And what I have noticed in all of the moments and all of the times that I've ever been in that liminal, sacred space when people have been with their loved ones before they die is that two things typically happen, and they're both courageous things. The first is that people want to get right with each other. People will get in their car and they will drive and they will not stop until they are able to say to the person who is on this bed, I need you to know that I never meant to say this thing. I need you to know that if I could take back this thing, I need you to know that I want to get right with you about this particular thing. Or sometimes it's the person who finds themselves nearing the end of life who needs to say, I need to tell you that I should have never harmed you in this way. I should have never hurt you in this way. It's, it's a courageous moment because some people will tell me, oh, Lisa, for 50 years we held this grudge, but it was at this moment that I let it go. But here's the other act of courage that oftentimes happens. When people are with those who are dying, they will profusely offer up words of love. If they weren't the kind of family that said they loved each other at the kitchen table, they will say to their mother 500 times how much they love her. If they were not the person who used to whisper in the person's ear at night that they love, they will say over and over again, I love you, I love you, I, I love you. People will, will, tell, will, will tell me, please pray that I get there in enough time so I can tell this person for one last moment these three words, I love you. Almost moving heaven and earth in our human capacity to whisper or to scream or to cry or to sigh, I love Why are we so determined before a person takes their last breath for them to know that they are loved? You know what I suspect? I suspect that those who gather in that sacred liminal space know that when a person knows that they are loved and when they feel that they are loved, then they truly know who they are. Hear me, friends. Do you hear me, friends? 
I suspect that people know that when they've told someone how much they are loved and they, they try to convince a person that they are lovable, then that person will know before they take their last breath who they really are, that they're not the sum of their mistakes, that they might not have already got, always gotten it right as a parent, they may not have been the best sibling, they might not have always been the happiest coworker, they might not have always been the greatest person on this earth, they might have had a season of life where they failed and they faltered, but when you know you are loved, then you really know who you are that you are not the sum of any of the things that make us broken, but instead somehow love makes us whole and holy and brilliant. So people will literally move heaven and earth so they can whisper three words so that this person will know who they really are. Because when you are loved, friends, you know who you really are. Will you say with me, I am loved. Poof. Say it with me, I am loved. When you know that you are loved, you know who you really are. When you know who you, when you, know you are really loved, then you know who you really are. This concept is, is anchored in God's creative act. Oftentimes at the Southeast Raleigh table, we, we go back to the beginning of the scriptural tradition in Genesis. Genesis 1, verses 25 through 27, when, when, when we hear about how humankind was created. And the thing about when humankind was created is that we were created out of the overflow of God's love. We weren't created out of obligation. We weren't created because God had nothing else to do. We were created out of the overflow of God's love. That's what we believe as a tenet, a basic tenet within the Christian faith. And here's the thing about the creative acts of God, is that when God places the stars in the sky, when God uh, places the trees in the fields, those acts of creation reflect the handiwork of God. So everything around us, the creepy crawly things, the things above and the things below, they reflect the handiwork of God. And then when it comes to creating humankind, we don't just reflect the handiwork of God, we reflect God. When my father used to preach, he would say, hello, lights, when people were too quiet. Hello, lights. We don't just reflect the handiwork of God. We reflect God. It says that humankind was created in God's image. And in fact, that particular passage of Scripture is, is said twice so that we might understand. You really need to understand that you reflect God, that you, you look like God. You were created to look like God. Now, while everything in creation might reflect the handiwork of God, you reflect God. I look like God, Crystal looks like God, Kelly looks like God, Austin looks like God, Andy looks like God, you look like God. When you wake up tomorrow morning and you shake your pretty head, and you look in the mirror, you can say to yourself, or you can say to someone around you, I look like God. <laughs> Humans.
look like you, ref you reflect God. There is this distinction in creation. Some of creation reflects the handiwork of God. We reflect God. <sighs> On my worst day, On your worst day, you might need to hold on to that. We could have been created as majestic as the stars. We could have been created to shine like the, like the moon. We could have been created to look like the sun. But we were created to look like God. And it is out of an overflow of love that God would have us to look like God. It is out of an overflow of love that God would have us to look like the divine. It is out of an overflow of love that God would have us to look like the grandeur of God. It is out of the overflow of love that God would have us look like the majesty of God. It is out of the overflow of God that God would have us look like the holiness of God. It is out of the overflow of love that God would have us to look like God so that we can look like love, so that we can look like God. In the same way that children might look like their families, or children might take on the patterns of their families, we take on the look out of God's love like God. So the writer in 1 John chapter 3 recognizes the magnitude of this creative moment that out of the overflow of love, God creates us to look like God. And so the writer in 1 John says this, see how deep the Father's love for us, see how deep the Creator's love is for us, that we would be called children of God. Actually, that's what we are. The hymn writer says, how deep the Father's love for us. That God would not create the separation between us and humankind, but instead, no, draws us near that we might be reflective of who God is. How deep the Father's love for us that we would be called children of God, that we would look like God, that we would represent God, that we would, we would have within us that which is like God. How deep the Creator's love for us, that that is actually who we are. How deep the Creator's love for us, that even though the world might not have always understood that Jesus was the glory of God, one day we are going to even be more glorious even though we are like Christ. But it all comes back to the fact that God loves us so deeply that this is the relationship in which we share with God so that we know 
because of the overflow of love, who we are. Here's the hard question I need to ask you this morning. Do you believe you are deeply loved by God? Do you believe you are deeply loved by God? I know the world we live in that loves to speak for God and add commas and caveats and footnotes and conditions and hoops and will tell you really quickly, maybe you shouldn't totally believe that God loves you. Do you believe it? When we open ourselves to this profound understanding that God loves us and that God's love for us is so deep and that even for us to exist is, is, an, is an overflow, it's actually a gesture of love. then what it does is it helps us to poke holes and to get curious whenever something is called love, but it doesn't feel like love. When systems or institutions or people give us a thin love, when systems or people or institutions do things that don't help us to understand the beautiful nature of the grandeur of God that is within us, whenever systems or people or institutions try to give us just a little bit out of a sense of scarcity and not of abundance, because we know what it is to be deeply loved by God, we're like, mm, 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 mm. that thing right there? <laughs> As we like to say sometimes, I don't fool with that. I don't fool with systems that question my humanity. I don't fool with systems that keep me in an oppressed state and don't honor my humanity. I don't fool with systems that don't know how to speak right of me and who I am and whose I am, and neither should you. That is ill-fitting, and an ill-fitting love is not love. Toni Morrison says this, love is or it ain't, because thin love ain't love at all. <laughs> if I don't know what it is to be deeply loved or to believe that I'm deeply loved by God, whenever I am lost, or self-absorbed, or addicted, or bound, or living out of my brokenness, or holding on to my old stories, I will not know to look to the North Star of God's love to help me bump into my better self. 
friends do you believe that you're deeply loved? Because if it is at the, at the moment of our dying that people will try to move heaven and earth so that we know that we're loved, can it also be in our living? Can it also be in our living that we will move heaven and earth so that others might know that they're loved, not when they're about to take their last, but right now, here and now, today, tomorrow, next week, next month, that we will tear down systems and dismantle organizations, and that we will move mountains and barriers so that people might know that they are loved. While we are living, that we will know who we are, that we will know the relationship, that we are called children of God, but that is actually who we are. And that God's love for us is not shallow, but God's love for us is deep. Here's um, the last thing that I want to just share, is that last week, I asked these two re reflection questions. One is like, how can you, um, how can you show love in the world? And then the second question is, how can you embody some, some element of love to others? Maybe I should have started with this sermon first, though. Rookie mistake as a pastor. <laughs> because how can you dole out that which you have not experienced? Sometimes we're able to do it. But there is something when you have experienced the deep love of God. When everyone has told you you are a nobody and God says, mm, you've made some mistakes, but you're still somebody to me. When you have experienced the, the deep love of God, when you truly feel like you cannot make it another day without numbing yourself, and God says, I want you to feel joy and sorrow and goodness and love and know that I'm holding you. Oh. Until you begin to self-flog yourself and you are telling yourself that you just, you are the sum of your mistakes and you hear God said, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. While we are living, this is what I know. God moved heaven and earth. While we were living, God leaped over barriers and hurdles. While we are living, God moves mountains. While we are living, God walks through valleys. While we are living, God finds us in pits. While we are living, God finds us on the pews to say to us, I love.
Do you believe it?